Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. I'm your host, Leah Witchick. Today, I had the opportunity of speaking with Barb Shellian, who is a remarkable and inspirational leader in nursing and healthcare. So let's dive right in and hear her story. Barb Shellian is a registered nurse committed to nursing practice, healthcare reform, and people. Barb is a graduate of the Foothills Hospital School of Nursing and earned her bachelor and master's degrees from the University of Calgary. She is Director, Rural Health, Calgary Zone, Alberta Health Services, and is located in Canmore, Alberta. She has extensive experience as a staff nurse, educator, manager, and clinical nurse specialist. She is also an adjunct assistant professor for the University of Calgary's Faculty of Nursing and has been instrumental in establishing a national association for rural and remote nurses and was elected as the first president of the Canadian Association of Rural and Remote Nurses in 2004. Barb is currently serving on the Ministerial Advisory Board to develop a national dementia strategy for Canada. Barb served as the president of the Canadian Nurses Association from 2016 to 2018. She is passionate about the role CNA plays at the national and international levels in supporting safe, competent, and ethical nursing care and believes that CNA is a relevant force for nursing, uniting nurses to act in the public interest. Hello, Barb, and welcome to Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Leah. And thank you for giving me the uh, opportunity to share some of my thoughts today. That sounds great, Barb. Now, you and I have known each other for a couple of years, and I think everyone would be interested in knowing a little bit more about your career trajectory and how you got to where you're at. Well, because I've been in nursing for so long, I'll uh, maybe try to give you a short Reader's Digest (laughs) version of a long and winding uh, story. But I guess I I could say quite truthfully, and some people, when they say this, I start rolling, but I can say quite truthfully, I always wanted to be a nurse. Mm. Uh, I had an excellent role model uh, in my aunt, and I saw her and uh, working and being a nursing student. And so I always had that in my mind that that would be a choice I'd want to make. Um, so I did start in a diploma uh, of nursing at the Foothills Hospital School of Nursing. And I um, it was in the days where you were really immersed in the clinical setting, in hospital nursing. And I've never regretted that. I've always been thankful and grateful for that opportunity to really be in that essence of nursing and that close to the patient and family, uh, direct care nursing, and really honing my skills. And at the end of the day, when I left that program, feeling very confident in um, my abilities to be a skillful bedside nurse. Um, I did have some experience in being in charge in in that program, but 
when I graduated, I decided not to stay in my um, training school hospital, so to speak, uh, and that I went to uh, a different hospital in uh, Calgary. And I, I was, again, put in a setting where I've just had the, lu- the luck of uh, just such incredible luck in my career because I was put on a unit or secured a job on a unit where there was a head nurse who really role role modeled what leadership should be. Uh, She took me under uh, her wing because they didn't have very many uh, new graduates on that unit or in that hospital. So I was kind of like a unicorn in some ways. And people were asking me to do presentations or asking me what I thought. And they really wanted me to be successful in my career in that setting. And I kind of thought that I would be, you know, uh, I would carry on in my career that way and be a bit of a big shot in the urban setting. And uh, I had my career planned that way. And then as, again, my as luck would have it, I met a young man in uh, Canmore, which at that time was a very small town. And decided that, you know what, I'd probably like to marry this guy. And I moved to a small town and there I started this exposure to uh, rural nursing or nursing in a non-urban setting where really geography, weather and access to resources uh, defines your career. And again, I was dropped into a setting I kind of went with a bit of an attitude because I'd been nursing in the city and I thought it was all about the city and what could happen in a little 10 bed hospital in the hills of Canmore. And at that point, Canmore was really only a place you got gas on your way to Banff. (laughs) And um, my first day on it in a 10 bed hospital as the only nurse basically there, I was thinking, I have a lot, I have a lot to learn. And I'm not as big of a big shot as I thought I was. But again, I had that support of a director of nursing who supported me, who wanted to wanted me to be successful, uh, mentored me along the way. I don't think I would have even thought of doing a baccalaureate in nursing or a master's in nursing if it hadn't been for her influence. And I, we actually still exchange um, Christmas cards. She's moved away, but she was a real influence on in my life. And I guess the lesson that I took from that is that if you pay attention to the people as you travel along your way, there are people always wanting to help you. You just mm-hmm. have to be open to that. And while I was at the Canmore Hospital, uh, she supported me uh, and let me work part-time while I was doing my baccalaureate degree. While I was doing my master's degree, I continued to work at the Canmore Hospital even while I was teaching at the Foothills Hospital School of Nursing, uh, teaching pediatrics and getting experience in that venue. But I always maintained, whether it was in part-time or casual work, I always maintain my connection with that small 
uh, rural hospital that really taught me. I mean, I had my nursing skills down pretty well, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, when someone walks in the door and they're in active labor and you've got someone else in the emergency room with chest pain and you're the only nurse in that building and you have to phone around town to try to find the doctor because we didn't have pagers at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really makes you think on your feet in terms mm-hmm. of problem solving. So I had my skills, but my problem solving skills really grew and expanded because I had that exposure to nursing in uh, a rural setting. And also that director of nursing gave me the opportunity to carve out a role because the new hospital in Canmore was being built uh, in the early 80s. She gave me the opportunity to carve out my role as a clinical nurse specialist, which again was a kind of a unicorn in uh, the early 80s because I was in the first uh, master's class at the University of Calgary and with the clinical nurse uh, specialty uh, option. And she let me carve out my role in a new hospital, uh, uh, be involved in uh, building and commissioning that new hospital and carving out my role as a clinical nurse specialist in a rural setting. And again, just taking advice, being open to help uh, from others. And, you know, I've continued my work in rural nursing at the Canmore Hospital in various different roles in various different health region configurations. And again, you know, that director of nursing planted in my mind how important it is to be involved in your professional association because she took me to a picnic and I thought it was a picnic and I was going to meet people in the community. Well, it was a picnic of the nursing chapter of the professional association that was located in Banff and Canmore. And there I met people who were involved in the professional uh, association And I started to get more involved at that level. And eventually, uh, through other involvement at the district level and the provincial level, I ended up being the president of the Provincial uh, Nursing Association and College. And from that, getting exposure to um, uh, the national organization and uh, eventually becoming the president of the Canadian Nurses Association. So I've seen my career sort of grow as when you throw a pebble in the water, you see those concentric type circles that ripple out Mm -hmm. and being really solid in the middle of my, in the beginning of my career, in the middle of that circle and just growing and gathering networks and knowledge and skills and moving my interests um, uh, out out farther in that circle, but always being true to what was at the middle for me. And that's that the patient, the family and the community. Um, So now I'm past president of uh, the Canadian Nurses Association. I'm also the editor now of the new digital Canadian nurse, which is like something out of this world for me because it's not something I've ever uh, received any 
skill, knowledge, course, workshop, whatever, on being an editor in chief. Uh, wow. But they but they told me at that time, I said, well, what would I have to offer? Because I don't know anything about being an editor. And they said to me, well, the editor in chief is basically we need someone with a personality. So I thought, well, mm. okay, I have a personality. So sign <laughs> me up. And someone else does the work. But again, it's another part of that ripple doing something outside my comfort zone, but really relying on um, people who can mentor me uh, through that and not feeling at any time in my career that I know it all. And I think that that's really been, um, that's been deliberate on my part. And I've learned a lot from declaring that I don't know it all. Wow. What a career, Barb. Thank you for sharing that. And what really struck me as you were speaking was the value of mentorship in your life. As you mentioned, you had the aunt who triggered that initial thought about being a nurse and going down that path as a career. And the importance of the director of nursing who had such an impact on your career. And that's so lovely that you still stay in touch with her and that you exchange Christmas cards. That's quite remarkable. You've had all of these opportunities and these amazing mentors. And I'm curious to hear from you. How does this translate in terms of your own approach to leading others and helping them to grow and develop their careers? I think I'm always aware of uh, where potential might be in people and, uh, always, uh, looking, looking, not looking out for people, but looking out for opportunities for people to say, would you like to take a lead in this? Um, do you think that, uh, a coach would be helpful for you to grow? Um, just not being, a and not being directive in too much, too much of a way in my leadership style, but always wanting people to move along and move forward and knowing that everybody has a different path. So the path I took is not going to be the same for the people that I work with, or um, they may choose differently and I may have to, uh, well, appreciate and honor that. So I think I've, um, uh, you know, and, and again, it comes from really declaring that you, I don't know it all, but I might be able to know someone who could help this person who really wants to grow in informatics uh, or who really wants to grow and maybe pursue a career in um, nurse practitioner or midwifery or wherever they would like to go. So, um, just being, I think just being there and being helpful to people. I think your comment about being there and being helpful to others is a really powerful statement and something that seems simple, but I think is often overlooked in the, the busyness of every day. And what I also heard was that importance of observation, that ability to really notice where people's strengths lie and also pay attention to where their interests might be as well. So I'm really curious to hear from you. What do you wish you had known about leadership before you started out? I've um, 
I've thought about this a lot because the longer that you are in your career, the more reflective you get, I think. And you, you know, you always ask yourself, would you do something different? Or I think when I started in my career and I thought I might want to develop my role as a leader, I had this notion and it was, uh, it, it was not right, but I had this notion that your place in the organizational chart somehow defined you as uh, a leader. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, being a charge nurse was okay, but you should really like try to get a name uh, to yourself or a designation to yourself. And I've learned that that's not correct in mm-hmm. that you can be a leader every day wherever you are. And that's not a, you know, that's just not a, a, a something fanciful, I want to say, but it is, it's real, it's the real truth. And I think beginning, and it may be a natural kind of a thing, but when I uh, when I started to develop this notion of being a leader for myself, I I thought I could emulate or be like other people, and and maybe take on a characteristic or um, something that didn't really fit well with me. Be, but because one of my uh, role models for leaders uh, acted like this or worked like this, well, maybe I should too, but it didn't really fit. Mm. So I learned from that, that you can watch other leaders and take from them what really resonates with you, but you should never, your leadership style should always be comfortable for you. And you shouldn't try to act like other people, I guess, is what I'm saying. And I had that notion in my head that I had to, uh, like, look, maybe act like them or uh, do work like them. And that is one thing that I count, I I talk to people about is uh, who are developing or beginning in their leadership career is that you have what it takes inside of you. And you can watch other people and take what feels comfortable and what fits for you and create that journey, create that path of your own and learning from others, but not really being a mimic of others. So I think I wish I would have, I I learned that lesson, but maybe I wish I would have learned it a little bit earlier. So that idea of being true and being authentic. And I would imagine that comes with a little bit of time and a little bit of experience as well. Yes, that's correct. So I want to touch on something you said earlier, and that was that leadership is not specific to a role or a title. And I think many of us, as we start out our careers, we think of it as just that, that we can only be a leader if we get to a certain place in our career have a certain title under our belt or a certain amount of experience or be doing a specific role. And I know from our past conversations that something that's very important to you is the concept of everyday leadership. So I'm curious to hear from you. What is that all about? I think everyday leadership is really just what the word 
means is that it's something regular. It's something deliberate. It's something that's expected. And it is, um, it's not something that comes once in a while, but it's something that uh, is there all the time and uh, solid and it's consistent and it's dependable Mm -hmm. and um, not siding with the opinion of the day, but being, uh, I guess, everyday leadership to me, there's a notion of being solid, being dependable, uh, being there. And um, you mentioned being authentic. And I think that's a big part of uh, everyday leadership is that you you can be expected to act in a certain way because uh, you're doing it every day. So that's really interesting because what I hear in that is everything that you just said is related to certain behaviors, observable behaviors, and so that people can see how you're showing up. So was there somebody in your life or career that really modeled that for you? Uh, I, I think I've had... Uh, I've had several people, and I mentioned uh, previously, uh, some directors of nursing uh, that supported me. Um, Also, you know, uh, figures that I thought I would never, uh, I would never be friends with. I maybe just read their articles or saw them in leadership positions. Uh, Jeanette Lemieux-Roger was Mm -hmm. someone that I saw from afar in uh, the late 1980s and thinking, oh, well, I'll never even be able to uh, talk to her. But now we're we're very good friends and we probably speak on the phone at least once or twice a, a month. And she supported me in my leadership career, although she has retired and she's uh, she's backed off from her leadership career. Uh, people who, um, Anne Sutherland Bowl from the Canadian Nurses Association, Mike Villeneuve, Canadian Nurses Association, people that I've noticed have been able to get the job done. That's kind of whom I'm attracted to is maybe not the people who have the big motivational personalities, although some of those people do. But it's people who can really get the job done, whether it be with, um, you know, hard work, influence, using your networks. And I would say that, you know, who has influenced my career? I think I could honestly say that anyone that I've had contact with has influenced my career in um, one way or another. Uh, Nurses that I've, I work night shift with years ago, nurses that I did OR call with, and we'd be dragging ourselves back to the hospital at three o'clock in the morning for a C-section or an appendectomy. I still remember the impact that those nurses have had on my career. So right. it's, uh, I think it would be safe to say that, you know, anyone that I've come across in my journey over um, over four decades in nursing has had an influence in um, how I uh, conduct myself today. 
That really resonates with me, Barb. I think back to my own career and all the people that I've had the opportunity to work with. And I really do believe that all of them have had an impact on my career and myself, some more than others, but it's there, it exists. And I think we often get really busy with our day-to-day life and get busy doing the tasks that need to get done and maybe don't have an awareness that we do have influence on others and impact. What experiences in your life really solidify the value of everyday leadership? Is there a story or an experience that you think would really illustrate this? I think some of the experiences, I have, you know, one local one, and then there's one um, at a more national level, but the, a local one of everyday leadership, and it's still really fresh in my mind, is uh, the flood of 2013. Mm-hmm, yes. And in that particular uh, disaster that happened, uh, the community of Canmore was basically cut off from the rest of the province because of the water. Um, the hospital was taking in water in the basement. And I mean, luckily we're a two-story building. So the patients were all warm and dry on our uh, top level. But we we were moving water, trying to make dams, trying to push water down open elevator shafts and hoping that we could clear away the water, move the pharmacy, move the kitchen upstairs, um, move the laundry, um, doing all those kinds of things. And when that, when I saw the water kind of seeping into the basement, I said to myself, number one, I don't think we're getting any help mm-hmm. right now. We mm-hmm. might get help maybe in two or three days, but we're not getting help right now. We have to depend on ourselves. And I looked around and people were looking for a leader. They were looking for somebody um, to say, this is what we're going to do. So uh, I called, uh, got all the department heads together in the boardroom. And I had a flip chart because that has the, uh, that has the notion that you might know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I started to write on the flip chart and I'm saying, what do we have to do? And who's going to do what? And it was basically the group taking over, but I was writing their thoughts on the paper. And I had said to my my, uh, admin assistant before we went into the meeting, I said, we're going to act like we know what we're doing, even though we don't know what we're doing. We're going to make sure that everybody feels comfortable and that somebody's in charge. Yeah. And... We, we flew by the seat of our pants for two and a half days uh, and we managed. Our community helped us. People came. And when you had to kayak to the hospital, that was a sign that people from the community were coming to help us. Uh, we were bringing patients to the emergency room, uh, literally in big trucks that were high, had high um, bodies to the trucks, and they would bring people from a dry part in the community, bring them to the hospital. Um, we 
we managed for two and a half days on our own. And it wasn't because of my leadership, but it was because that we had to come together and somebody had to get the flip chart out and say, come on, guys, we're going to do this. And uh, I, you know, wore rubber boots for probably a week at Mm -hmm. the hospital, making sure everything was dry, making sure people were safe. And um, so that was an an example where we used everyday leadership at the local level. Uh, And I think at the national level, like just comparing where things happen and you're using that everyday leadership or your ability to put a team together and achieve a goal would be uh, the changing of the CNA bylaws in uh, uh, 2018. That was a journey where there was a lot of consultation and engagement. Uh, It had been tried before, uh, four years prior to that. It didn't fly. And the bylaws, the changing of the bylaws, the essence of that was to open up membership in the Canadian Nurses Association to regulated nurses who were not only registered nurses, but licensed practical nurses and registered psychiatric nurses. Mm. That was a big step for an organization that was over 100 years old and had only had membership uh, of registered nurses prior to that. But Using the board, the CNA board as a team, going out and consulting, getting buy-in from people saying, you know what, the sky is not going to fall if there are licensed practical nurses as part of the members of CNA. And we'll work out the governance, we'll work out all this other stuff later, but the bylaws have to be changed. And this is a conceptual idea, but the bylaws have to change before we can move forward. And I see that as uh, one of the highlights of uh, my time as president of CNA is being able to move that forward and having a unanimous vote for in favor at the CNA board meeting for this bylaw change. That was that was history. And I was mm-hmm. able to stand at the front of the room during that history, historical moment. But to me, is that any more important than me shoving water down an open elevator shaft to try to keep the water from coming into the basement of the Canmore Hospital? Mm-hmm. I see those both as equal. Yeah. Uh, and and being both as rewarding. So that's really interesting what you're saying about both of those pieces being equally important and equally rewarding. And I'd like to come back to that. Before I do, I would like to touch on a little more about the work with CNA. As you mentioned, it was a massive change getting the bylaws altered. And getting everyone on board and getting the buy-in that you needed to make it happen. So what did you do to support the process of that change, as well as supporting the people that were impacted along the way? I think, well, number one, I think timing was essential because as I mentioned, it was tried four years previously and it didn't fly. Mm -hmm. I think concentrating on the advantages 
and looking at where where does nursing have to go in this beautiful country that we call Canada? Where does nursing have to go? It has to go forward. And is it going to go forward only with registered nurses? Mm-hmm. Nope. It's going to go forward with all groups speaking as one voice and looking at the purpose of a professional association being uh, the health of the nation, advocacy for healthy public policy, uh, advancement of the professions. And because we weren't tied to uh, regulation like a college would be, Mm -hmm. I think it was easier to sell the notion of moving forward as a solid group and as a group speaking um, for Canadians, not necessarily speaking for nursing or a self-interest group, but moving forward for the health of Canadians, that people could buy into that. It was, well, not really a motherhood statement, but it was it was a re uh, restatement of the purpose of a professional association. Uh, and I think that that really resonated. And the fact that we were open to questions mm-hmm. and we took the time to consult and we had, we had board support, which didn't happen the previous time. There was uh, um, voices of opposition at the CNA board that just couldn't make it happen. But the board was a solid group and they were able to explain to delegates and bring information to the delegates to the meeting to say, this is really something important that we should be doing. It was a big piece of work and one that had a lot of complexity and a lot of moving parts that you had to contend with in order to get the job done. So I'd like to jump back and talk a little bit more about your experiences with the flood and back to that point where you were pulling out that flip chart and trying to pretend you knew what you were doing. I'm curious to hear what was the energy and the mood like in the room during that point in time? And how did you deal with that? I think people we were running on adrenaline because the day previous that we were at work, it wasn't even raining. Oh, wow. And so this was a change that happened in our community over about a 24 hour period. And Mm -hmm. it actually happened to us before it went downstream and happened to Calgary. So we were kind of the first ones that were getting the river overflowing plus the raining all the time. And people were there was that initial kind of response you get in a crisis where you feel like you can do more things than you thought you could do before. Yeah. And so I guess we capitalized on that where I saw people becoming more fatigued and just wanting it to end was maybe about a week into it where mm-hmm. we wanted to get back. We wanted to open up our OR again. We wanted to get the kitchen back downstairs and um you know people were fatiguing about a weekend but the the and I think this happens in rural too like I can't really say it wouldn't happen in urban but people have a sense of ownership for their hospital and 
I think the department heads were saying, you know, this is our hospital. What can we do? We want to do something. We know there's water coming in the basement. Like, and people had great ideas about, you know, how we might mitigate, um, you know, it being a really bad scene um, in uh, in our basement. So I think people were running uh, on um, on adrenaline, and they had this sense of, you know, what it's our it's our hospital, and we will it's our hospital, and we'll do what we need to do. That's really interesting. That sense of ownership and almost advocacy that came forward as people were in the midst of this situation. And I'm wondering, what do you think that sense of ownership did for people in this crisis situation? Do you think it just inspired this driving force of, we have to take care of things? I think that was part of it. I think when people realized that the community was was there for us as well, um, because we had people from the community uh, bringing coffee, bringing stuff to the hospital, <laughs> uh, putting messages of support on the local radio station for the hospital staff, and um, just things of that nature that... I think people knew that they were part of something bigger uh, Mm -hmm. because the rest of the community, uh, you know, many, and many of these people who are at the hospital working, their houses were going down Cougar Creek. Mm. Uh, Their, their houses were filling up with water and they chose to stay at the hospital and do what they could. Like that is, uh, that was a, like uh, an example of true commitment to the patients and families. The patients did not, they did not miss anything. They may have had to eat on with paper plates and plastic spoons for a week or so, mm-hmm. but no one complained. Everyone got their medicine. Everyone uh, had their treatments done. And it was, um, it was that commitment to the patients to their workplace and to their community, which is which is what I think got people uh, got people going and kept people's uh, energy up. That's amazing. As you said, they're losing their homes, and yet they're still showing up to care for those who need it the most. In light of this commitment, what do you see as the key to everyday leadership? Um. I think that there's four things that I always remind myself of, and I've I've carried these for a couple of decades now, and I think these these are the keys for everyday leadership. Uh, I remind myself to be prepared, uh, be resilient, be relentless, and be yourself. And by by being prepared. Not to, and again, not to think that you know it all, uh, to Mm -hmm. find out what you need to know uh, about whether it's a new electronic health system, whether it's a new procedure that's happening in the OR that you have to get people prepared uh, to, uh, to work in that situation, finding out what you need to know. And um, if you have to ask others, if you have to, 
find out if you have to stay up late or stay at work late to be prepared, then that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, being resilient. And that's uh, there's been a lot written about people who live outside of the urban areas. And again, where geography, weather, and access to resources makes a difference in your nursing practice, just going with the flow sometimes and not knowing that and knowing that you may not have everything uh, at your disposal or things may not go as planned. And you take that as it comes and you don't go running to the corner crying, but you, um, you sit up straight and you figure out what you're going to do next. If uh, things don't go the way that you planned and Mm -hmm. Being relentless. Um, one of my uh, mentors, Kareem of Algae, um, introduced me to this notion of relentless incrementalism mm-hmm. in that you keep on it and you keep on it and you keep on it. And um, you're, uh, it may not happen in the time that you want it to happen, but if you think it should, should happen, Uh, whether it's an intervention, um, whether it's a new skill you want to acquire or a network that you want to make, uh, you be relentless uh, about it. And the last thing relates to that lesson that I learned about leadership in being yourself and not trying to be anyone else and uh, accepting yourself as who you are and knowing that you're going to show up in your way on your path every day uh, to provide that uh, everyday leadership and knowing also that integrity means more uh, than being popular. That's incredibly powerful. Now, Barb, we're nearing the end of our time together. So any final words of wisdom? I think I would just like to uh, remind people that leadership is every day. (laughs) Leadership is hard. Leadership can be lonely, but leadership will give you that opportunity to get into the room, to get at the table and to make a difference. And to me, that's why uh, likely many of us chose nursing Uh, was because we realized that it does open doors to make a difference. Um, Whether you're at the bedside, in the boardroom, uh, wherever you're at, and that um, nursing is probably the best profession in, in the world. I would echo that. Thank you, Barb, so much for being here and for sharing your wisdom and your insight with our listeners. Your experiences and your stories have really brought the idea of everyday leadership alive, and I appreciate all of your time. Thank you again. My pleasure, and thank you, Leah. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. Also, If you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.